This is Your Edmonton, a bi-weekly look into the people, places, and things that make up our city. I'm your host, Braden Brazda. This is episode one. Today we're talking about community leagues and the community league federation. We're joined by Ronick Patel. Hi, Brayden. Thanks for having me on. Ronick is a junior director of sustainability with the Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues. How long have you been with the community leagues now? Uh, actually coming up on a year now, so it's pretty exciting. In our first segment for the show, we start off with icebreakers, where we're going to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, sure. Asking a couple of easy questions. First is, what is your favorite road in Edmonton and why? Yeah, going to have to go with a pretty common answer here and say uh, River Valley Road, you know, very scenic route through the River Valley here. I mean, you could be biking, you could be walking, you could be in your car. It's just really cool that we have this in the heart of the city. Your second question is, what is your favorite building in the city? Yeah, great question. I really like Enbridge Center downtown. So if you're familiar with it, it's kind of uh, like a neoclassical design. So it's got some original uh, building material from 1920s um, and it has some new glass uh, like a big glass tower on top it actually used to be a building in the 1920s and there you can see the original brickwork if you walk by and then there was also an eaton's like a fancy sears i guess it was i'm not really sure what an eaton's was but that was a stone building and they kind of kept the facades of those buildings and they're i think four stories tall and the glass tower on top it's just a cool combination your last question for the icebreaker segment is, what is your favorite bridge in Edmonton? Yeah, hot take on this one, but I'm going to say the Walterdale. Just as soon as it went up, it's been an instant landmark. Um, I think your stickers can attest to that. It really just draws the eye for anyone that lives south of the river. So this is Walt Jr. you're talking about. Yes, now. yes, Walt Jr. Um, you know, rest in peace, Big Walt. But uh, yeah, Jr. is definitely a looker. So actually, last weekend, we ran across the one just north of uh, Gold Bar Park. Oh, yeah, that's a nice bridge too. Just a little footbridge. So as I'm sure you're aware so far, Ronick is a much better talker than me. <laughs> so we're hopefully going to get him to do a majority of the speaking in this episode. Our first topic is community leagues in the city of Edmonton. So the first thing I want to know is what are community leagues? Great question, but a bit of a hard one to dwell into. So I guess we'll maybe start with saying that there's 160 community leagues in Edmonton, which means that they're quite unique to the areas that they represent. But because they are nonprofit organizations that are run by some local volunteers, they really are grassroots. So this means they organize all kinds of events, um, programs, different kinds of topics based on what people in the neighborhood value. This can range from like social or recreational events. Some leagues provide programming for seniors or small children. Lots of leagues do advocacy for different urban development issues that are happening in their neighborhood. Lots of leagues have halls. They rent out for weddings, parties, really, you name it. Do all of them have their own building or is there some that are just organizations then? Yeah, so lots of them have buildings. I think uh, around 123 of them have actual halls. So that's a good chunk, you know, over two thirds. Lots of leagues lease a space from a private organization or a different building contractor. This is typical if you look like downtown community league. They don't have an actual space, but they lease uh, an area. The next thing I want to know is just a little bit of history on the community league. So how did they get started? When did they get started? Like, why are they around? Yeah, so there's actually a lot of history with community leagues here in Edmonton. So 
we can trace it back almost 100 years, I guess, starting back then. So really in the early 1900s, there were several places in the U.S. that had associations that were called city clubs. These city clubs were predominantly male social clubs. Um, they would just like meet over lunch and they would talk about like local issues. You can really picture that in your head. Um, you know, just a bunch of guys meeting in suits, talking about whatever over the local newspaper. But it was in the late 1910s, an American immigrant had moved here to the city. His name was George Hall, and he was actually the city of Edmonton's industrial commissioner. And he really saw the basic concept of city clubs as a solution that would solve many of the problems that were plaguing some newer neighborhoods in Edmonton. There was really a lack of community infrastructure and organization. You know, back then the city was growing quite quickly with the kind of change in industry happening in Alberta. So Hall introduced the idea of these city clubs to his own neighborhood, which was called Jasper Place. And this at the time um, was just kind of an outskirt part of Edmonton. So really on the fringes of Edmonton proper. Based on this ideal, it was in 1917 that Hall helped integrate two existing groups, the Jasper Place Rate Pairs and the local horticulture society. And this formed Edmonton's first community league. Today, that same community league is actually Crestwood Community League. Hall served as its first president. So even back then, they had guidelines to make sure that it was an inclusive space, regardless of people's class or their ethnicity. Both men and women could join. They didn't care what political party you supported or what religion you believed in. For this kind of idea to happen back then, it was quite ahead of its curve, so that was really cool to see. And this mandate really is kind of stuck on since but civic advocacy or the development of social recreational opportunities, advocating for city infrastructure. Those were all kind of things that came out of these guidelines and mandates that have not been changed since. Cool. One thing I want to kind of know about is way back then, why why did they form these communities? What was the purpose? Because you talked about they would sit around and talk about things that happened in the newspaper and stuff. But was there a purpose beyond just meeting to talk? Like, did they have? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that neighboring part of it was definitely a big aspect, but for, for Mr. Hall, who lived in a kind of an outlying part of town, he was really looking at the importance of uh, advocacy. So he was trying to advocate for, um, in his neighborhood, some new sidewalks and they didn't have a proper sewage system. So he kind of used this opportunity to gather all of his neighbors and talk to city hall about these issues that were happening in their neighborhood and why they were important to the people of Edmonton. Cool. The Crestwood Community League, you say, was the first community league that you would recognize in today's standards, but what were kind of the other first communities that made their own leagues? Yeah, so Crestwood had formed in 1917, but by 1920, there were several other leagues popping up. We had Bonnie Dune Community League in 1918, as well as the Southside Community League, and that's a modern-day Scona. We had Westmount Community League, Riverdale, West Edmonton, which is now Calder Community. We had Forest Heights, Calgary Trail, which is now Allendale, and Bennett School, which is now Cloverdale. So there were nine leagues by 1920. There was nine in 1920, but how many are there now? Yeah, you, if you fast forward 100 years in this story, we have 160 community leagues in the city now. What are some of the recent additions to the community leagues? Early last year, we had Rosenthal join as 158, and Big Lake come on as 159. And currently this year, we have a Laurel Community League, um, I guess in the proverbial pipeline as a 160. So how would people find out what their community league is doing and what their community league offers for them? Each home in Edmonton is part of a community league. And if you're unsure of which league you're a part of, you can always visit the EFCL website, which is just efcl.org. Um, and we have a map where you can enter your postal code and it'll let you know 
what league you are a part of. And then our system will also link you to their website where most of them have the information that showcases what they do in terms of programming and events. Can you give like a couple examples of things that people may not know that their community league actually does? Because for instance, I know that my community league is in charge of the outdoor rink. And other than that, I don't know what they do. So do you have any other examples of things that community leagues do? So that's a good point. Um, I think lots of leagues do struggle to kind of share what they're doing, but many of them run programs in the hall. Often that can be things like daycares for little kids. Lots of leagues do various events for, you know, more on the social side. So encouraging people to come out, meet their neighbors at community potlucks. There might be a movie night. Lots of leagues do things around fundraising. So there, there is lots happening at your league. I know sometimes it feels like they're just a place for you to go put your skates on, but there's a lot happening in those halls too. Do you have any notable examples of things that have happened recently that you thought, oh, wow, that was a cool thing that this league did or that that league did? Yeah, I actually really enjoy my my own community has quite a strong league as well. So Bonnie Dune Community League, and they have kind of an offshoot committee called the Bonnie Dune Refugee Sponsorship Club. So last year, they actually sponsored a family from Syria to come and they're war refugees. They fled the war in Syria. And it's through the community that's fundraised from various events and various sponsorships that this family was able to come move. And now they live here in Bonnie Dune. Wow. But I also go skating at my community link week too. So that's a big part of it. I know that there's membership within the community leagues. I know this is how you get your skate tags or register for soccer. So what does the membership cost? Do you have to be a member? And what does that actually get you? Yeah, so the cost of membership does vary depending from league. And again, that reflects on the various services that they provide. Some leagues that have a higher cost of membership, but they often provide more services, more programming. Really, the membership sales is is like the main point that people get to kind of flush the community with money. They really rely on that membership to help do the things that people value in their community. But there's also like some general perks as well. So regardless of what community membership you have, if you have one, you can get a reduced rate at any city of Edmonton recreational facility. And the EFCL set this up and it's called the Community League Wellness Program. So you get a discount. So that's like the Meadows Rec Center, Collingwood Rec Center, all those things. Yeah, any of the rec centers in the city. So, you know, Commonwealth, all the major ones. Is that like discounts off of your day passes or do you have to get monthly passes? Do you know? I believe it's off uh, membership, like subscriptions, I guess. So like monthly plans or whatnot. Yeah. And there's also, we mentioned free skating. So if you have a membership, you can skate at any community league as long as you bring your tag with you. And we have various discounts at the local businesses and services. So, How could you find out about these discounts? Would it just be on your community league's website? The general perks of membership you can see on the EFCL website. And when it comes to the more specific ones for league to league, you can probably find that out on your local community league's website. And we're going to plug it one more time. You'll hear it a bunch of times, but that's EFCL.org. EFCL.org. If you're one that wants to get involved, how do you find out if your community league needs help or if there's... So they, they always need help. It doesn't matter what's going on. Community leagues and all the things that I've mentioned, this vast history is really all volunteer based. So without dedicated folks that are passionate about building community, leagues really struggle. So if you are interested in community leagues, um, it is a really meaningful type of volunteerism. And do you know the commitment level you would need if you were volunteering? Is it a once a week kind of thing or is it 
more in depth than yeah. So that that varies based on I guess what you're volunteering for. So lots of the you know higher capacity roles. If you were your community president, it would be a bit more demanding. If you're someone who you know, for example, was a membership director, you would be busy during the times that you do membership drives. It is quite flexible that way. You know, some leagues need someone to do social media, so that's very casual. So there's lots of different levels, which I think is a great way for people to get involved. Are you also on your community league board? Uh, so I have a membership at Bonnie Dune, but uh, I'm not on the board. I kind of see it as a bit of a conflict working at the EFCL. We don't want to play favorites. It's important that we kind of detach ourselves a bit from the board. How does a community start their own community league? Because there's lots of new communities popping up on the southwest end or mm-hmm. even north of the city. So at what point is a community league formed and who forms those leagues? That's really the cool part is that it, it comes uh, very like bottom up. So it really takes a group of dedicated volunteers to kind of meet and decide that they want to create this organization that can provide some services that they don't meet in their neighborhood. And then they have to go through lots of you know governance and procedural kind of hoops to form an organization. And that's part of the work that the EFCL does to help new leagues get started. I think that's a great segue into our next topic, the EFCL. Can you explain what that stands for? Yeah, so the EFCL is the Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues. Great, and so you guys help out community leagues, as you said, get started. So what assistance do you provide to the new communities? So for new community leagues, it's really about helping them through the development of bylaws. These bylaws govern how the community league functions and will kind of set the precedent for how they move through the early stages of being an organization. Has there always been a federation for the community leagues all the way back to the beginning, or is that something recent that's popped up? The federation um, has a long history as well, but not as long. Those nine leagues that were around in the 1920s I had mentioned earlier did meet and they agreed that having a centralized organization that would be able to represent them all would allow them to have a much stronger voice with city council. And at this time, they were also talking a lot with other orders of government as well. So the EFCL, or the Edmonton Federation Community Leagues, was founded in January on the 24th in 1921. And we have a board, and that board is made up of representation from each league. That has changed a bit since, but we still are very much a grassroots organization. So you're meeting with all these community leagues. How often do you get a meeting with all the leagues? Outside of day-to-day operations, we do have general meetings that happen three times a year. And this is really the main point that we get to interact with leagues and their presidents or vice presidents. Other than helping communities get going, what does the Federation do? Yeah, that's a great question. So the EFCL really sees Edmonton as a place where we have community as something that is quite valued by Edmontonians. And we know that leagues are seen as a mechanism for citizens to build great neighborhoods and advocate for the city that they want. So what we really do is support the leagues and their volunteers by providing assistance on the topics and issues that they see as important. Are you guys affiliated at all with the city government or are you separate from the government? Uh, so each community league is its own nonprofit, and the EFCL is also its own nonprofit. But we do have a long-standing partnership with the municipal government. As you can imagine, with the hundred years of history, there's been quite a lot of league involvement with how the city has grown. Leagues are really seen by the city as a place that local action can be done at a level that's a bit more effective than what they can do. So through the past century, the city of Edmonton has really supported leagues with funding opportunities providing resources and other tools to help engage neighbors. 
I'll also mention that many leagues have uh, an agreement with the city of Edmonton for the use of city property as league licensed land. And leagues have built over $500 million of community amenities and infrastructure in their history. I guess uh, community league infrastructure could also include, you know, like things like community halls, but as well as playgrounds, hockey rinks, any type of really infrastructure that is built on a community licensed land. Okay. Is it just the city government that you guys interact with, or do you ever have to go to provincial or federal governments for any of your issues? Yeah, so most things are done through the city, um, just because we are a very local-based organization. The province is great, and they do support lots of the work that we do. There are several grants administered by the province that community leagues can apply for, but often, usually federal money or provincial money is kind of given to the municipal government, which eventually ends up with community leagues. So that's typically the relationship with governments. How many of there are you at the EFCL? Uh, so there's nine staff there full-time. We do get a bit larger in the summertime with some summer students working on various projects, but it's yeah, nine of us. Can you list off what all of them do right off the top of your head? Yeah, I think I can. So as far as staff at the EFCL goes, we have a couple different topics that we kind of address based on what leagues value. We have a membership director, and she uh, really guides questions that we get around how membership works and providing supplies to community leagues when it comes to membership drives. We have someone who does governance, so talking about all those bylaws that I mentioned and how to help leagues best maneuver through them. We have some programming staff that work in various topics. So, for example, I'm a programming staff and I help with sustainability projects. We have a programming staff that helps with active recreation projects, someone who helps with civic issues in the city. We have a communications officer who keeps a tab on what leagues are doing and shares what we're doing, so keeping that communication quite open. I have a financial officer, so just various topics that reflect what leagues have asked from us. And you mentioned how you guys all kind of do a bunch of different things. I assume that with an, like an office of nine, you guys really, day-to-day tasks are quite different, aren't they? Yeah, no, no, no one day is the same as the next. We have, you know, part of our job description is additional duties, and that's a lot of the work. So it is rewarding work. We get to work with passionate volunteers, and I think that's what keeps people going at the office. Great. Is there anything else that you want us to say about community leagues or the EFCL in general? Yeah, maybe just mentioning that it is quite a unique system. Uh, so the federation here in Edmonton is the largest in North America, and other cities really look to us as an example of how to do citizen engagement and this broad scale volunteerism. We're going to take a quick break and then regroup in the second half to talk about what Ronick specifically does in the EFCL. This episode of Your Edmonton Podcast is brought to you by Mobile Max RV Service and Repair, a local to Edmonton company that travels around north central Alberta to meet your service needs. Rather than having to move your trailer or RV, he will come to you, from appliances to plumbing and everything in between. You can call him at 780-904-6433, email service at mobilemaxrv.com, and his website is mobilemaxrv.com. And next time you get your service, mention your Edmonton podcast for 10% off. Again, that's Mobile Max RV Service and Repair. The second half of the show, we're going to talk with Ronick about his current program, which is called Green Leagues. Ronick is the Junior Director of Sustainability with the Federation of Community Leagues. So he does a bunch of programs around sustainability and the, the different leagues. Currently, like I said, he's doing Green Leagues. But can you tell us about any of the past projects that you've done with sustainability in mind. 
Yeah, so maybe a bit different in how other programs work, but Green Leagues really is an evolving program. So we've started Green Leagues three years ago, and it's taken different shapes and different forms, kind of reacting to what community leagues value. It's always been about sustainability. First started focusing on energy efficiency in old community halls, as well as putting solar photovoltaics onto community league roofs. But since then, we've grown to be a bit more inclusive, a bit more holistic on different types of sustainability. That can mean things from community gardens to citizen education to uh, you know waste management, so we have various types of topics. And I know sustainability has lots of different meanings depending on what you're kind of talking about it with. So in your mind, what do you think sustainability is for community leagues? Personally, I really think it's about being mindful on our impact that we have on the environment while also balancing our economical and social needs. And for community leagues, this means going a bit beyond just a building or a person. It's about teaching people and educating them on more holistic view on how to be environmental. So how long has the Green Leagues program been going on? Because you said it started off with photovoltaic cells. So when did it really get kicked off? In 2012, the EFCL ran a contest where community leagues could win a small solar PV system. This was really just a demonstration scale a system that leagues could install on their roof just to kind of showcase what PV could do. There were six systems, but we had 20 leagues sign up. So it was quite in high demand. So that kind of first showed us that this is a topic that leagues are interested in. So that led to the Green Leagues pilot project, which was a series of workshops that brought in some local experts to talk about various ways communities could be more sustainable. So we talked about planning, we talked about energy efficiency, about solar, and about funding. And these workshops were so well received that there was a need to create like a full-time position to help with community leagues asking about these topics. So that's really where the modern Green Leagues takes its form, having someone there full-time to answer questions for community leagues, to provide workshops, to help them with their projects, as well as respond to new needs. And before we get too far along, because I know my grandma listens, PV is photovoltaic. And to put that in layman's terms, like photovoltaic, is that just solar panels? Yeah, so when you think about a solar panel, that's what a, a PV photovoltaics are. Nowadays, they're pretty common. Probably see it in your Canadian tire. So that's what we talk about when we say solar PV. So those first couple of community leagues that won these solar panels, how did they put them to use? Do you have any examples of how they were installed or what they were installed on? Yeah, so we tried to install them when possible um, so they could be visible. So you could see them from the ground. Or if you were kind of far away from the building, you would be it would catch your eye and you would think, what is that? And then all the contest winners also got a television that was hooked up to a monitoring system, which would show what the system was currently producing. So that way people that were in the building using that space could see what was happening on the roof. In a way, some of the leagues that didn't win um, kind of benefited because it kind of spurred them to go further than just getting the small system. And, and in some cases, they are you know they have huge systems now because they lost the contest. Yeah. So that's kind of cool to see as well. Can you give any notable examples of communities that have really gone gung-ho with the solar panels? Yeah, so some early projects really led to the leagues adopting solar. So there was Evansville Community League, who uh, they were key in kind of organizing the contest, but they actually lost, which um, kind of spurred them to get solar on their own. So a few years later, they installed 13 kilowatts on their roof, which is quite a large system. 
but they left half the roof undone. And then next year they added 13 more kilowatts. So now they have 26 and it's actually a net zero electric building. So it produces as much energy as it uses in a year, which is really saving them on their energy bills. That's one example of one early on. We also had Riverdale as an early adopter. They installed a solar gazebo in the middle of the community park. And this is a pretty cool install. It serves as like a, a stage for different community events, for musical acts, and I think even, even a wedding or two. So that's really been a, a cool install in that, system, in that community league. Yeah, and I know that one's a real talking because I've been down there a couple of times and everyone always asks, what's that one? It's got wires coming off it. What's that for? And Yeah, it definitely uh, looks a bit different. And Riverdale is tucked in our valley there. So a lot of green and you all of a sudden see these blue panels in the middle of the field. But it's quite scenic and it's quite actually a, a poster child for lots of our programming and communications material. <laughs> Some more current projects that have happened. So last summer, um, Blue Quill Community League, that's in the west side of the city. They installed a 53.8 kilowatt system, which is currently the largest on a community league. And that's a lot of power for a community league to be pushing out. So that's pretty cool to see. Do you know how much power that is? It's just a number to me, but yeah. I would say an average home would probably take a 12 to 16 kilowatt system. So these bigger systems are a lot larger than residential installs. Okay, so 12 to 16 kilowatts for a house would basically make you net zero. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, again, that depends on how much energy you use, but that's a kind of a standard around normal Albertans. Okay, so then like a 58 kilowatt is quite big. <laughs> yeah, quite big. Um, so the way solar works in Alberta is that we have a microgen regulation. So that means the system that you put on your rooftop, um, if it's connected to the grid, is maxed out by how much you use in a year. So buildings are often limited. They have more space. They might have more money to spend, but they're kind of capped out at the current uh, regulations. I don't know if we want to dispel any myths because I know that <laughs> some people I've talked to say how like, well, Edmonton, it's so cloudy in the winter. There's no sun, but isn't Edmonton actually quite a good place for solar? Yeah, so a good example that often gets quoted is that Germany is one of the leading countries in the world for solar, but all of Alberta has a better solar resource than Germany. So if they can do it, there's really no excuse why we can't. Solar panels do produce less in the snow, but there was a five-year study done at Nate, which shows that the average solar panel loses about 5% power in over the winter. So it really is negligible. Systems are designed with snow cover in mind. It's really not a good argument in, the, in a modern solar PV system. Other than generating your own electricity, is there any other monetary benefits for community leagues to install their own systems? Yeah, so leagues often are able to access um, granting or funding from the various sources, and that really can help them do these projects. It becomes a lot of a good payback on the system. But one of the major things that people don't really think about is that they are able to save a lot on their utility costs, which for a league means that they can save that money and use it somewhere else. And this means more programming. This means better advocacy, you know, really paying dividends back into the community. What are some of the sources of funding that these communities can get to install their um, solar panels? So when it comes to solar photovoltaics, community leagues can access funding from the MCCAC, the Municipal Climate Change Action Center. This is a provincial agency that has some funding it does depend on the, the size of system but for most community leagues they get a 75 cent per watt rebate so that's about an average system would have a two to three dollar cost so that's almost a third there but there's also a first time applicants bonus so it goes up to a dollar five 
So that ends up being a third of the cost easily covered just off that one program. And how would that relate to the funding you'd get commercially or personally? So that's actually a better rate than the current residential rebates that Energy Efficiency Alberta has. Do you know off the comparison numbers? If it's a dollar five for the nonprofits, what would it be for? Uh, I believe it's currently ninety-five cents from the province, and actually, if you live in Edmonton, the city will top off another five cents, I think. But maybe double check my numbers there. So you'd, it would bring it to a dollar um, per watt for residential compared to the dollar five for these nonprofit community leagues. That's right. Yeah. Are there any other projects? than solar panel installation going on with Green Leaks right now? Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, we do a lot of work around energy efficiency. Lots of community halls are older buildings where there is lots of room to gain on how well they perform. So we can change our lighting, make the building envelope a bit better so you use less to heat it, a lot of things like that. But then outside of the building, we also look at some other kinds of initiatives, which could include like urban agriculture, your community gardening. It can include waste management and providing knowledge on different types of recycling and recovering of waste. Recently, you had a program with bees, is that correct? Yeah, so we've seen that leagues are interested in environmental conservation and preservation, so focusing on helping species survive better in urban environments. So we partnered with the Edmonton and Area Land Trust to give away some bee hotels. This was kind of the idea behind this was to kind of help leagues remind their members about the importance that these animals play in our ecosystems and to kind of raise the awareness of this other aspect of sustainability. There was a contest. Um, The contest kind of worked on the idea that leaks would get entries based on how many communication methods they shared the various materials that we created. And then the winning leaks were able to get a bee hotel for their community league grounds. With the bee hotels, it's not it's not a beehive, right? It's Yeah, it's not a beehive. I'm not a bee expert, so I won't pretend to be able to answer this as well as I can. But the vast majority of bees in Alberta are actually solitary bees, so not bees that live in colonies. Um, it's the colonial bees that live in beehives. That's not what we think of but we think about bees. But in Alberta, most of them are solitary, and they live sometimes in tunnels. So these bee hotels provide a great option to them, especially in urban settings where they can't find the same types of uh, situations they could in a more wild area. So we have solar panels and bee hotels. Is there any other projects you're working on currently? Yeah, it seems like we're a bit all over the place, but again, we're just responding to what leagues are wanting from us. So there's been a bit of interest in um, clean air monitoring. So we're looking to maybe host a workshop on that topic and educate some community members on the value of monitoring our air quality in the city. As well as you know other conservation topics, lots of interest around bat boxes, um, so providing habitats for bats here in the city. You kind of touched on it there, but do you come up with these ideas and then go to community leagues and ask them, "Are you interested in this?" Or do they come to you and say, "We want a program for this?" Yeah, I think a bit of both is the right way to approach it. So in many cases, leagues come to us with questions and we say, we don't know, but we'll try and figure out for you or connect you with someone who does know. And then we also kind of use our knowledge about the different leagues and leverage opportunities that can help many of them. And that's part of that is uh, is finding the right thing for them, but also making them aware and maybe doing like surveys to gauge if there is interest on these topics. Lots of times they are interested, they just don't know it yet. So So since the program started, 
have you seen lots of growth in community leagues or how many leagues have you seen getting involved in this program? Well, I definitely feel like I'm super busy. So that's probably a good sign on the intake of the program. As far as solar goes, we have 16 leagues that have solar PV on their rooftops. About the same amount have done major energy efficiency upgrades in their hall. We have some new project metrics we're working on this year. So I'll be happy to come back and give an update if that's uh, of interest. We kind of gauge as best as we can, but we also realize that in many cases, leagues are accessing our resources online. And they're maybe not calling us or maybe not aware of the projects. So hopefully there's even more than we are aware of. If I quizzed you right now, would you be able to list off all 16 community leagues with solar panels? Uh, I could try and then you wouldn't know the answer anyway. So <laughs> I'd probably get away with it. But uh, in, in the case that this does find those crowds, I would maybe avoid that. So it sounds like you're quite busy with a lot of current projects, but do you already have vision as to projects to come or has there been a certain need for a new project that's going to come up soon? Yeah. So we have some new community leagues coming on board, like I talked about earlier in the show. So these spaces don't have halls. So we're trying to do some work on helping them build efficient halls from the get-go. So how do you build a good hall right away? Um, so that's been a new kind of work for leagues that have done various initiatives. Um, lots of them are looking to engage their membership better on what's been done at the hall or what their you know group is working on. So that's been kind of cool, a bit of a different realm, less technical, more about celebrating projects and sharing the lessons learned. So that's kind of been a cool growth in the program. And so for these new community leagues, or if you're just a citizen and looking to find out if your community league is involved, how would you figure out if your community league is involved in Green Leagues or get them involved in Green Leagues? Yeah, great question. So you can always contact me at the EFCL. There is a section of the website that we have for Green Leagues where I track the project so you can have a look of what's happening in the city. I also write a blog entry on that as well, um, which is called the Green Leagues Sustainability Spotlight which highlights some narratives around various projects happening. And both of those are on the EFCL.org website? EFCL.org. Why specifically do you think that community leagues are a good target for sustainability programs right now? Yeah, I think one of the missing pieces that we haven't really talked about today is the idea is that these are public spaces that people interact with quite commonly. So we've seen some studies that show that one of the major barriers to the uptake of clean energy generation, in this case solar, is that people don't really see it. So they see it as kind of a foreign thing, something that's not normal. But in neighborhoods that have solar, people are more likely to kind of normalize it. It's just part of their life. And it really encourages the, uh, kind of a change in how they view energy. So other than Green Leagues, is there any other sustainability programs that exist in the city? Yeah, so the, the city itself, uh, the government has a really great change for climate program. I had mentioned earlier that we work quite closely with the city. Again, they're just a great source for educational information around climate change action. They have a couple of programs. We mentioned the rebates for residential. They also do an inner guides for homes rebate, so various programs as well. So I really hope people can take this information and check out what their community league is doing and get more involved in their league going forward. Our last segment before we end the show is called Local Spots. It's where me, your host, and our guests will each provide a local place that you could hang out, spend an afternoon, grab a drink, grab a bite that's local to Edmonton. Since Ronick's our guest, we'll let him go first. Living local is really important to me. So we actually have Juniper Cafe, just a couple blocks north of where I live. This is a really cool local cafe in Strathern, and they do their best to source all their materials from local farms. 
So we really enjoy heading out, uh, just walking over there and having some great food. How about you, Brayden? My local spot for this week is also a cafe. It's in Ellerslie and it's called Brown Butter Cafe. Oh, that sounds interesting. I've never been there. The only negative I have about it is it's only open during business hours, but it has really good coffees and also is a vendor of caramunchies, which is a local girl makes her own caramels and basically drizzles them on top of cornflakes. And it might not sound that impressive, but it is the best snack I've ever had. Yeah. One time Brayden shared his with me and it was really good. So I can attest to that. So if you're in Ellerslie, um, I would definitely check it out and get a bag of caramunchies and also one of their buns. I know they make a couple different types of sweet and savory buns. If you're in Ellerslie, definitely check it out. I'd like to thank Ronick again for coming on the show. What's that website again? One more time. EFCL.org. And on there, you can find all of the information relating to community leagues, community league federation, and also your blog on sustainability. That's right. That, that's all there. So. Does the Federation or the communities have their own any social media pages that we should know about? Yeah, we're actually huge on social media. So you can follow us on Facebook. We're at YEGCLS. So that's YEG, Y-E-G-C-L-S. And then Twitter, we're just at EFCL. So Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is where you can find them. As for the podcast, we have our own website, youredmontonpodcast.buzzsprout.com. As well, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can check out any of those resources to find out when the next episode will be, what the last topic was, or any other general news we want to share with you. Again, thank you, Ronick, for sharing your Edmonton. Until next time, this is your Edmonton.